0: Hi everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti. Welcome to the Yoga Land Podcast. On today's episode, I interview Amy Apoliti. She's a masterful, renowned yoga teacher and an environmental activist. In honor of Earth Day tomorrow, I wanted to talk to Amy all about the project she's been working on with her partner, the photographer, Taro Smith. You've probably seen these amazing photos that they've created of Amy. She's free diving and doing yoga with whale sharks, manta rays, and dolphins. And it's all in the name of raising awareness of how our marine life is being threatened. If you haven't seen the photos, you can find them on our show notes page by going to yogalandpodcast.com. Enjoy my interview with Amy. Hi, Amy. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing so great. Thank you so much for talking to me today and for, for being here. I want to just share one quick story before we get into the heart of the interview, which is that I see you all the time because I practice with you on Yoga Glow. Yay! <laughs> and um, yeah, I started really mostly practicing on yoga glow when my daughter was about a year old. So it's been about two and a half years. And there's one thing that you say that I just love. And that is you say often <laughs> shine bright like a toddler.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I just wonder if you could tell me where that came from or how you came up with that because it's so perfect. Like it is a really apt description of, I don't know, how toddlers are and like whenever you say it, I just feel it in my body.
1: You know, I learned that long time ago. Um from my teacher just to to brighten the inner body. But when I actually went out to the playgrounds and looked at children, <laughs> I feel like a stalker or something, but no, <laughs> I would go to the playground and look at children. And I noticed that all the kids that were three years old and younger contrasted with the kids that were older than that, that they all had this brightness inside that there was a length from their hips all the way to their armpits and that their collarbones were actually square across with the base of the neck, as Mm. opposed to the shoulders dropping down away from the ears and sloping away from the base of the neck. But if you started to look at the four-year-olds and up, that started to change. They started to look more like the adults. And I started, (laughs) I started like likening it to a toddler because if you look at them, they're just completely lit up. Yeah. And, and we look at somebody, an adult, who has their collarbone square across with the base of the neck, and we think they look tense or something. But actually, if you look at a kid, they're not tense at all. And so there's this way in which gravity's kind of like dragged us down, our shoulders go down below our ears, and our side bodies get really shortened, and our rib cage starts sort of sinking into our pelvis. And yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think the other thing that captures it and, you know, my daughter's three now, so I'm just like holding on to these moments until the shift happens. But toddlers are really uninhibited. And I think that's part of it, too. Like they're just so excited to be in the world and they're so excited to be upright because they've been crawling around for so long that they're just like, yeah, they're like ready to go get the world. So I think that's just such a great, such a great description. So I want to talk about your um, marine life projects that you've been working on for the past few years. And I want to just say that, you know, part of the reason I've been really motivated to start this podcast is not just to talk about yoga, like I can talk about yoga all day long. And I think it's great to talk about yoga. But I see right now in this country, like one of the upsides to yoga kind of maturing a little bit here is that people like you who've been practicing for a long time are now like manifesting the practice in different ways you know kind of taking action from the support of I think from the support of having had such a long practice and I just see like all of these amazing stories and I want to tell them and so I would just love to start at the beginning of your story and Taro's
1: story and
0: how did you guys come up with the idea of this of this project? Like what sparked the idea?
1: Coming from a background of actually activism before I was even ever a yogi, there's always been this desire in, in me to do something for the planet, do something for animals. Um, and not just a desire. I mean, I marched on Washington when I was a teenager and sat on the corner of 86th Street and Lexington Avenue, you know, sign, getting people to sign petitions. And so I've always had that spark in me. And I think the yoga practice actually mellowed me out a lot more about being all up in people's grill, about protecting animals, protecting the earth. It, it kind of mellowed me out in the sense that I, I started to live my life as an example rather than going out and preaching to everybody. But when I met Taro and discovered that he was also quite an environmentalist, but um, specifically a marine conservationist, and was connected to this group of of people here in Boulder, Colorado. Like, we're so far away from the ocean, but we have this amazing ocean community. And uh, I found out that he was connected to that and uh, was was really fascinated because I'd always wanted to be like a marine biologist or something so that I could get out and help marine animals. And it never really... Panned out that way because I became a yoga teacher, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was fascinating to to have this opportunity to go. Wow, I could get on boats and look at uh, sharks and look at you know whale sharks and manta rays and and at this point, I mean, we're in such a race to save our ocean species from overfishing and extinction you know, magnificent creatures like whale sharks and manta rays are just being harvested at unprecedented rates. Sharks are fished extensively to supply increased demand for shark fin soup and manta rays are taken for their gill rakers for Chinese medicine. Dolphins are being extracted from the oceans, you know, to be put in sea pens and, you know, sea world and things like that, harvested for their meat, you know, and despite like these, like the medicinal Things that the Chinese think that you know the shark fin soup is medicinal, or these manta ray gill rakers are medicinal, and there's no scientific yeah. proof that any of this is is actually valid. Um, but these species are being pushed to the brink right now. And he was going on a lot of these missions to record sort of the the blood and the gore associated with hunting these beings. Um, and that's that's when I met him. He was doing more of that, and then. He, at some point, was um, invited on a very different kind of of shoot, which was a shoot with uh, an underwater mermaid, literally, and model, and and also um, one of the top base jumpers in in the world, uh, Roberto Mancino, and then Hannah Mermaid, or Hannah Fraser uh in the Philippines and it was sort of like a fashion shoot with whale sharks and it was like what is this you know like we're so used to you know activists are so used to documenting like the horror mm. that goes on in in the world and what that does is it like maybe informs people of what's really going on but it doesn't necessarily make people excited about sharing the problem or raising the kind of awareness that you're looking for. It makes people kind of go, ooh, I don't want to look at that. I'm going to run away now. Yeah. And so this new shoot was really interesting because it was like, wow, interspecies interconnection, you know, or spe- you know, interspecies connection, connection with humans and animals. We share this planet with these beings. And what if we depicted this in an artistic way that created a sense of awe and so that's exactly what happened. When the imagery came back, it was it just went viral. Mm-hmm. I mean, just huge. I saw those images and I was like, I want in. <laughs> like, I want to do this for yoga. Like I want, I wanna bring my yoga into it. I love going underwater. I love animals. I love, you know, being you know, being underwater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just like mm-hmm. I'm a big swimmer. Yeah. So that's kind of how it began. And um this kind of new genre of conservation imagery is now emerging and it's conservation through interconnection instead of conservation through like, check out the blood and gore. And in terms of yoga, I mean, yoga means to yoke or to connect yuj and these images help demonstrate how we're connected Mm -hmm. to these animals. And when we started our very first shoot and then saw the results of that shoot, we knew we were onto something because those images also went viral and, have been on the front page of yahoo.com reddit prana used a lot of them in their stories and that the image of me meditating with a manta ray has just gone everywhere people post it on instagram all the time and
0: that image is so beautiful amy and also i mean i i think it really it conveys exactly what you guys hope to you know i look at that image and i absolutely see like this oneness right like it's just like oh my gosh yeah absolute connection and it's it's amazing and it's amazing to be able to live through you and seeing those images like they're really alive i mean they're really they feel really alive so i have so many questions after that yeah your little description but well first of all let i just want to get through some logistics you (laughs) were free diving for that first Mm -hmm. shoot correct had you ever done any free diving before
1: you know, I had not, not professionally or anything. So, so, so how did you um, have that first trip? Like, yeah, that first trip, the main thing that I, that I did is I did a lot of pranayama. So a lot of breath hold pranayama and I did a lot of, um, swimming. So I was swimming like massive laps. Like I would do these, you know, 45 minute to one hour workouts in the pool and I also started swimming underwater, so we call that like a dynamic, like a dynamic movement free dive is like you're moving uh, underwater. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I totally didn't have free diving training at all. So I just you, was you, like, let you, me go underwater, and I'm going to just like hold my water and like swim. So you and, trained um,
0: yourself for this? I like,
1: totally trained myself, amazing.
0: yeah. That's
1: awesome. Um, and I've since taken free diving courses. Okay. <laughs> <That's laughs> i like so taken a after free diving course, um, which was incredibly helpful. Yeah, I trained myself, and I would go underwater and I would imagine that there was like a whale shark next to me, and I would be like swimming and, you know, come up for air, go back down again. I just tried to visualize what it would be like, even though I had never even been with those animals in the water. Like, I just imagined what it was like. and honestly, nothing trained me for the open ocean. Um, And I don't think anything will ever train me for the open ocean, except the open ocean. Mm. Like, that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to just (laughs) yeah. So so
0: in terms of the open ocean, was it like, what made it the most challenging when you were there? Was it just the excitement? Was it the tide? Was it like that you had to find the animal in the water? You know, what was that like?
1: Well, it's, you know, we've been on a lot of different trips. And the animals are all very different, but it requires an extreme amount of patience because, you know, you don't want to be like this obnoxious, you know, this obnoxious sort of like Taurus that's like lunging toward the animals right. and like swimming after them and chasing them. So we we're really conscious. So we are patient and we tread water and we wait. Hmm. You wait till they come to you. Oh, that's so nice. And so you're, you're basically treading water. A lot. And that's where open ocean is so different because I never imagined that I'd be treading water and then, oh my God, the animal's here. Here comes the animal. <laughs> and it's like dive down to be with the animal. And that treading water, it's like it's burning oxygen. It's, sure. it's making your heart beat. And so then you go down and you're holding your breath. Meanwhile, you've been expending all this energy most freedivers, they breathe up for a dive. So they are in com- a complete state of Shavasana before they dive. Oh. So that's why freedivers can stay down so long is that they're, they actually lay in the water face down huh. with their snorkel on and they're just in Shavasana expending no energy. And when they go down, they don't need as much oxygen because they've been They're thoroughly oxygenated in their blood and they're breathing in a certain way. But when you're treading water, you're burning it up, burning it up, burning it up. (laughs) Mm. That's basically why it was so intense Mm. and why it is so intense um, when I'm in the water with animals or when we're doing these shoots because you're just treading water so much. So you're really not underwater very long. Like I'm not under it that long because – a proper free dive you're you're like in a complete shavasana before you go down so
0: how so when you were in let's say the lotus image like did you feel like you were in sort of a yogic state in that image or was it really just an effort to like so did it feel the way it looks or did it did it feel different yeah
1: I mean like even though I had been treading water and then kind of sprung into like sprung myself into action to get into that position in that millisecond in that moment where you feel the you know I feel the the animal yeah with me and I mean it's like time just slows down and you're in yoga you're absolutely in you're in the zone yeah you're in that state. absolutely and yeah. it was quick yeah, yeah it was yeah. really fast yeah but it time slows down yeah and what did you learn about
0: the different species? So you've, you've swum with whale sharks and um, rays, right? Manta um, rays. Manta rays mm-hmm. and then dolphins. And so getting to be in connection with them, like, do they have different personalities? Did you, did <laughs> totally. you interact with them? Yeah. What was that they like? They
1: totally do. So whale sharks are... Oh my God, I love them so much. Oh my God, I just like want to hug them, but you're not supposed to, so I totally don't. But um, they're super interested in the fish eggs that they're filtering into their body. And so they really could care less that you're there. It's hysterical. Like they're just like lumbering through the water, but they're completely conscious of you at the same time. Like they could care less, but they're completely graceful and conscious of your presence so like if they found themselves you know coming into a head-on collision say they just so gracefully maneuver around whatever's in front of them
0: and they're about as big as like a school bus right like they're they're just oh yeah enormous yeah they yeah. can
1: be up to 40 feet long even though they're really large, they, they they can't maneuver as quickly. So you do, you know, it's really important to be conscious of them and not go toward them or, like, mess with them and that kind of thing. But despite how large they are, they're incredibly agile in, in, in the water at the same time. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. But they really could care less. I mean, I could have been like a, like a log of driftwood floating and they're just like, ooh. <laughs> they just really want to eat. They're so sweet. They're like a big puppy dog. Oh, they're just exquisite animals. Yeah. They're absolutely exquisite. They have the night sky on their back. I mean, oh. they're just gorgeous animals and so majestic and large. I mean, they're huge. Oh, and they're, I just love them so much. Anyway, and manta rays are phenomenal they look like birds huh. underwater like flying through the water and they twirl they twirl in circles wow so a couple times like i like i dove down and they're they're also like super into the eggs like they don't really care that you're there they're kind of more like wary of you but they're really concerned about feeding and what was awesome is like i would dive down and a manta ray would be coming sort of right at me, like just, it was sort of an accident. Like I dove down and there was a manta ray and it came right at me and they're so agile that they just would flip upside down. Mm,
0: Just as they came toward you. Like so just as they came through, they're like,
1: "No problem, I got this. I'll just, awesome. Let's do a backflip out of the way, and w- nobody will have any problem." Yeah, like, out there, they're just amazing. It's
0: so different to be in like a water creature than a land creature, right? Like because they just like they're so much more graceful. Which is, I think, another thing that's so cool about these images of you in the water is like you become like a water creature down there. You know, you kind of have to.
1: Santas are so, they're so sweet and, you know, they definitely are, are like more wary, but like they're not afraid. They're not, they know that they've got, that they're in their territory and that they're fine. Right. So they're very trusting animals and that's why it's so sad, you know, that they're being harvested in the way that they are. They're just very lovely, trusting animals. I, that's what I would say about them. Um you know, our our friend Sean Heinrichs, who is featured in the movie Racing Extinction, he was with us on a number of these trips. And I remember uh, there's a story in Racing Extinction where he came across a manta ray that had a some sort of uh, fishing line stuck in its body. And he was able to free this manta ray and um after several free dives up and down he was able to help the manta ray and the manta ray came around and circled him Mm. you know as a way of saying thank thank you you. so like he was able he was really able to interact in a way that i'd never seen Mm. Um, because i think this manta knew that it was stuck and it needed help and that that sean could help her and so that was pretty it's a great story. You can see it in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I,
0: I want to just say briefly that you know, in terms of this project, and you know, it's it's so interesting that you said it's like this this new um, form of activism in terms of you know being inspiring and setting an example. And I, I think because people really do have sort of bad news and sad news fatigue, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a yeah, tough thing. It's a sure. really tough thing because we have to be able to deal with the bad news, but sometimes it can be fatiguing and paralyzing and. I mean on just a personal level, I didn't know that whale sharks and and um manta rays were being harvested for any reasons. So so I think this this awareness exactly. it absolutely works. I mean it's just it works. So um Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's the whole hope. And you know, like like I don't have um necessarily the resources to donate, you know, to to organizations that can make a difference. I'm not a marine biologist. You know, I'm doing what I can do in this body with the talents that I have. Taro is doing what he can do mm-hmm. with, you know, his body and the talents that he has uh, as the photographer and kind of a master of the equipment. Like we're doing what we can do um, to make a difference and bring these compelling images to drive the point that we share the planet and that through interconnection and, and featuring the beauty of the animals with human subjects, like that's the most provocative method of helping people to care and also to learn, like you said, that these things are happening. Right. Sometimes yeah. I wish I had other means, but mm-hmm. this was the way I thought we could do this. Yeah, that's you know? well, so- incredibly <laughs> powerful.
0: So the second trip that, well, the second set of photos that I've seen are swimming
1: with dolphins. Is that right? We've done a few trips with dolphins. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you brought up SeaWorld, so I just kind of need to go there for a moment and just, <laughs> I just want to get your take on things. If you haven't seen Blackfish for anyone listening, you know, I I highly recommend that movie to just kind of understand um, some of the things that have happened at SeaWorld. And I saw, I think it was in the past week that they've decided oh. to stop doing their theatrical orca shows which is really great news and they've stopped doing they're going to stop doing their breeding program of orcas Mm -hmm. in captivity Mm -hmm. which is also great news I just wonder (laughs) I just wonder if there's anything else we hope that SeaWorld will do um because my impression from what I've read is that the orcas that are there will will be there right until until they die because they can't they they can't set them free at this point so anyway i just i just you know i just kind of yeah. wanted since you're sort of in this world i wanted to kind of get your take on things
1: yeah well i mean i think SeaWorld's stock prices you know just plummeted after the documentary blackfish was released in i think it was 2013 mm-hmm. um there were class action lawsuits filed and um, all sorts of things. And I think that they they finally got the message that, uh, you know, that they need to do something to get the public support back up. And so, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, but there's a lot more to be done, like these animals should never have been in captivity in the first place. And, you know, we hope that this decision that they made to stop the orca entertainment and the breeding, you know, that that the public sees that captivity of any sentient animal, you know, is, is not okay. And so our work is definitely far from over. I think, you know, we don't see SeaWorld um, retiring their captive dolphins, for example, um, and the slaughters at the cove, which is the, the other movie, Mm -hmm. um, the prequel to, um, (laughs) to uh, racing extinction is the cove. You know, we, we don't, see that stopping. I mean, it's definitely been reduced. But I also think that there might be some hope that SeaWorld is going to do more of like an educational thing, almost like the Monterey Bay Aquarium, like mm. that, that maybe they're going to be doing something that makes a contribution, you know, to just to marine life in general. I don't, I don't know. But we, it's, it's sad to me that there are still dolphins in captivity. And I think a lot of um, activists like like um, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animal, the Humane Society, they are really hoping that SeaWorld would consider letting these orcas live out the rest of their lives in ocean pens, where at least there's like more room and there's ocean water coming in mm. and just a little bit more of a a safe environment for them, but more oceanic, mm. <laughs> if you
0: will. Right. Right. So. so it would be a little bit more, a little more humane. More space. Yeah. More space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I'm really hoping that that, that that happens. Yeah. I was,
0: I was wondering about how kind of heartbreaking it must be for you to be, have been so close to dolphins and then think about them being in pens. There used to be a dolphin pen in um, Golden Gate Park and one of the, I'm trying to remember the name. <laughs> I think it was like I can't remember there was there used to be an aquarium in Golden Gate Park and there used to be a dolphin mm. pen and it was so small and I remember the first time I went down there and the poor dolphin was just swimming back and forth like this oh, and I, really? I was like this is just this poor animal is you know not well like really just not a good situation yeah. and it, you know they've there are no dolphins in the aquarium anymore they've completely shut that down um but yeah I just was wondering how that that must be to be to be so connected to those animals. And, and actually, or maybe you can just talk about what that was like, just what it was like to, yeah. s- to be with the dolphins.
1: Well, you know, the dolphins, um, it's so interesting. Cause like the different encounters I've had with different species of dolphin are so interesting. Like hmm. they're all so different, like bottlenose are really playful and spinners are, um, they really like hang out together and they're like during the day, they're actually quite sleepy, but they're, still really mobile most of my dolphin encounters haven't been like actually these like super magical like oh my god you know they're coming to investigate us and stuff like most of the dolphins were like swimming they're, they're not like, like unicorns we're, like, yeah they're like <laughs> we're doing our thing and the times that the time the best dolphin encounters i've had are actually when i'm on the bow of a boat and they're riding the the wake of the boat because they're just so playful uh-huh. and fun yeah and, So fun watching them surf the the wake of the boat um, in the rear too, like just leaping out of the water, surfing the waves of your boat. I mean, just that to me is so so much. It's it's just so fun. Um, Underwater, it was more like I don't know if if I'll actually interact at all, you know. um, But there was one bottlenose. There's an image actually of uh, of me behind a bottlenose. Because Taro turned around and he he turned he was like swimming, and he turned around. And this bottlenose was right there, like, nice. and I was still in the frame. So there's a there's a really cool picture where that that one bottlenose was really playful with us. But um, mostly they're you know they're doing their thing. They're on the move uh-huh. and they're kind of like sleepily moving along. Like they're nocturnal, so they they're, like they're just cats. like. Yeah. So that during the day they're swimming, but they're they're very kind of sleepy, if you will.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. I did not yeah. know that. That's fascinating. But
1: no, you see, you know, like you never see that kind of freedom. You know, they are experiencing their freedom. And you don't get that when you go to SeaWorld. <laughs> like, yes. You know, so just seeing them in their glory, just enjoying themselves is such a it's such a treat. Right. It's their home. So, dolphins are very they enjoy themselves Uh uh-huh that's that's the best way I can explain explain it I haven't had those like in like magical interactions I mean it's definitely magical but it isn't like they were like spiraling around me and it was like (laughs) they were healing my injuries like I actually didn't have that (laughs) I would like to if that happens but but it was beautiful to just to watch how free and enjoy, you know, how much they enjoy their, their environment. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's, that's really cool. Is there anything, um, you know, about this experience? Like, is there anything from your yoga practice that you think just helped you during the dives? Yeah. Is there any way you like directly felt like all this training (laughs) for all these years as I'm applying it right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly there were moments, you know, certainly like the pranayama from a really practical standpoint helped me with the the breath retention and underwater. And I think in some ways on the way to when we would be like in the boats and stuff in the mornings and there's this way like that my yoga and my ability to connect to spirit, Mm -hmm. which I've cultivated over so many years came into play you know I'd be on the boat and I'd be doing my little mantras and just silently chanting to myself and connecting underneath the water trying to connect underneath the water even though I was above it and then when we would actually come upon you know come upon a pod or a you know a a big aggregation of, of whale sharks or we saw manta rays it was just like yep they're here you know it's time. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. just get in the water with like a feeling of, of love and of connection and peace. And also this greater sense of like, that I'm doing something that's important, like mm. doing something that's, that uh, is going to help raise awareness. Like just that, that feeling of like, I'm, I'm doing this for a larger reason than just myself. And I feel like I've prac like I practice yoga that way too. Like it's, It's not about, like, I'm going to get on my mat, and I'm going to get, like, a yoga butt, and I'm going to, like, de-stress myself, and I'm going to get all these benefits for me, for me, for me, for me. I do my yoga practice to benefit others, (laughs) so, like, I'm a a better person and a better leader, so when I get on the mat, that's the larger reason I do the yoga, so I just felt like it was just another extension of, like, I'm here, sure, to have, like, a killer experience with animals but that's going to be really cool for me but it's ultimately this is for something so much bigger like we need to stop the destruction we need to start getting people to appreciate the planet yeah and that's that's why i'm on my mat and it's why i'm in the water right now
0: yeah i love that that i love that it absolutely makes sense and i I mean i think it's pretty palpable and i think it's i think it's one of the gifts of having a long-term practice i mean I don't know. I I feel like for me, the beginning of such for so many years, the beginning of practice was just like self-healing. And like
1: mm-hmm. it was for
0: myself. It was for myself. There was like a lot of work that had to be done. There was a lot of healing that had to be done. And then once you get to a point, you can start to be of service more and you can start to feel like, oh, I have some power that it, it, some that I can use for good and
1: I can take yeah. action and well, because I can, you did take care of yourself <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so it's just mm. yeah I just want to put that out there for people who are who are new you know on the path and if you're not feeling like that power yet that in good time if you if you wanted to it, it comes like it you do start to feel like it is good for other people that you're spending that
1: time on your mat
0: Absolutely. It's
1: definitely a a two-way thing. I mean, the more you heal yourself and practice for yourself, you are going to have that power come through you when you're in service to others or in leadership or in a teaching role. Yeah. You know, you have the juice that you need. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. The inner resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Amy. What are you, what are you up to these days otherwise? Like, what are you enjoying teaching or what projects are you working on?
1: Well, I have a book actually coming out with Taro on Aww. the art and business of teaching yoga. It's been a long time coming since really like 2002. I've wanted to write sort of the professional guide to teaching yoga. We started penning it um, back in 2012, finally. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> deal, And it's actually happening. So that hits the shelves on June 8th. And, um, <clears throat> you know, one of my passions is, is helping other yoga teachers to thrive and, you know, to live green and live in the world in a way that inspires their students to change the world. Mm-hmm. So I really feel psyched about this book because I, you know, I, I, I want yoga teachers to feel like they have, that they're empowered to actually have a career at this, mm-hmm. even though not necessarily historically been the most lucrative career or one that feels like it could pay the bills or put a kid through college or help support a family eating organic. But if we take it to a little bit more of a professional level and people start taking it seriously as their profession, not their hobby, we do have a shot at yoga teachers being able to make a viable career out of teaching yoga and therefore then inspiring others um, to have this lifestyle that, again, like we've been talking about this whole interview is like, when you can understand interconnection, you can make the world a safer and and more harmonious place to live for yeah. all creatures. And, yeah, yeah, and humans. yeah. yeah so. that's
0: great. That's something you've been working on for a while with, with 90 monkeys, which is, um, <coughs> exactly. it's, it's, um, my understanding is that 90 monkeys is like, teaching programs and education that you guys do to fill in the gaps for yoga teachers. Like I know when I came out of my 200 hour training, I actually taught for a short time and I didn't have that support. And I, it really felt too challenging to become a teacher. I didn't I didn't know, I didn't, I just wasn't ready. Um, and I didn't have the resources to do another whole training. So 90 Monkeys has ongoing education available, right? and um and then you've got this book which is great and i'm totally with you you know i feel like my husband jason he he sees it the same way which is that yoga teachers is a challenging profession it's a it's a physically challenging profession um it's it's you know people when they start teaching often have to teach a lot of classes a week and um and it's a passion and when it's your passion and then you start doing it professionally it can be challenging and so I think anything to support teachers and like you said, to support them in feeling like they can be professional is just a great, great thing. So I am looking forward to reading your book. Where where can people get it?
1: Well, it'll be on Amazon, but it's through, it's through new world um, library Mm -hmm. is our publisher and it'll be in bookstores. I mean, it'll be at all the conferences and that kind of thing, starting June 8th, but yeah, you're, you hit the nail on the head with, um, the professional piece and what 90 monkeys is all about filling those gaps um for for teachers af- both after their 200 hour but also we have a 200 hour training that we do it's kind of the cornerstone of our curriculum it's it's been yeah it's been really fun to to see our graduates taking their careers more seriously from the 90 monkeys programs that we have and some of them are now teaching on yoga glow, some of them are leading the charge for body positivity mm. in yoga and niche markets in yoga and just amazing, mm-hmm. you know, amazing results that That's they're great. getting. Like they like we're seeing them really break into into the yoga world and, and getting a name for themselves and notoriety and so we're pretty we're pretty pumped.
0: That's about great. That's great. The that yeah. So, that's great. I mean, you know, those of us who love yoga feel like there are still so many places that need yoga. And actually, there's one more quick thing I wanna say before we end the interview, which is, um, you know, I read, I did my homework before the interview and read some of your old interviews that said you, you started practicing when you were like 15 or 16, because that age for you was challenging with um, other girls. And I think yoga was probably a great thing for you at that time. And I had, you know, similar experience, not so much in high school, but middle school, just that really, Mm -hmm. really challenging time of like connecting with other girls. And I have a little girl and I'm just wondering if we can put our heads together to figure out like something to do with yoga for girls as they grow up to like maintain their Mm -hmm.
1: self-esteem. I just really want to think about that and put that out there. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. I started when I was 16 and I, I really went to yoga as a refuge from the mean girls mm-hmm. because I, I I felt like how can it be that that these mean girls like that this is life like how like there's got to be something better than this. Mm-hmm.
0: You had a <laughs> you good know? instinct. You had a good it instinct. Like, like this sucks. Yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> and so I I told my mother I'm just going to be a social outcast, and she was horrified, but me being a social outcast was just like not going out with everybody on the weekends and, you know, saying yes to the kids at school when they wanted to do things with me. It was like, no, I'm going to go, you know, and I was babysitting my, my uh, younger sibling and, you know, that, that, that was more exciting to me than, you know, than going out with them. And, and in the process, I started seeing my dad's um, spiritual books on the shelf. And Mm. that's what led me toward kind of, having a spiritual practice or or at least you could say one that, you know, something that like got me asking the larger questions in life. So I think, you know, a lot of it is girls that age are being taught to that, that they are going to get outside approval um, to feel good about themselves. So like that, that's the way they have to get approval is through others' opinions and how they look and how you know they act and this kind of thing. And that's just never a recipe for good self-esteem. <laughs> Worried about what people think. So what what was what I was craving is like how do I ask like some like a, a question that's just not so self-absorbed. You know, like why am I here? Mm-hmm. What's my purpose? Mm-hmm. What is life all about? Mm-hmm. Like what's nature all about? Mm-hmm. And That's what I craved. It was just like, can I ask a different question here than like, what do I need to do to be one of the cool kids? Right. And that led me to read the Tao Te Ching and like, then I started taking asana classes and, you know, totally far out yoga teacher. And I went to the health food little cafe around the corner and there were like hippies in there. That now own Candle Cafe 79 or whatever. Like, they're, yeah, these so were like point. the original founders in New York <sighs> City. And they were like, yes, Amy, this, you know, whole wheat is more healthy than white flour. And like, they like, me like this whole education and like vegetarianism and like, you know, the whole thing. So, like, I just was like, where do I find the cool people that are like Have doing meaning? Pic- yeah, yeah. Like, it was this, this pursuit and then I met like animal rights activists and environmental activists and I started you know lobbying in DC you know with like River Phoenix and his whole family wow. and this yeah life took off from high school because I made this decision to go like there's got to be a deeper question we can ask right. and so I think if young girls are taught to ask different questions how do I look in this dress or like what you know do you think that this is cool? It's like, no, no, no. Who are you? Why are you here?
0: (laughs) And you have have value beyond those things. You have value beyond those things because like you said, the messages that we get um, everywhere are that women, you know, are valued for the way that they, they look quite frankly. So starting that probably you're right. Like starting that message young and hitting it often is probably.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, the role models too, like having young role models that are free in their body and, Mm. you know, like we actually have to get like the people that are in their early twenties and maybe in their twenties talking to younger girls as role models to go like, I am content in my body with, you know, this size, this shape, this color, this sexual orientation, this, you know, everything. Um, To see the diversity and to have that be okay and to have someone be so unapologetically cool with themselves as a role model. And what's so beautiful is that like when I was first starting to do yoga, there were no yoga teachers in their 20s. Mm-hmm. I mean, all my yoga teachers were in their 40s at least. Mm-hmm. And now we have so many yoga teachers who are like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, like under 30. Mm-hmm. So we have so many great role models for these girls um, as yoga teachers. And they have to be teachers that are, you know, that are okay with their bodies and okay with like their professions and everything else.
0: Willing to step into that, into that role.
1: Yeah. They need role models because, because if they're following each other, that's just not so good. Mm. And I, I believe that across the board, like I believe that younger Students of yoga need to have older student or older teacher role models, just as much as, as I, as an older yoga teacher, need to still like be learning from a younger student mm. of yoga or teacher of yoga. We need to learn from each other, mm. mm-hmm. but but like multi generationally, it can't just be the same generation learning from itself. Mm. That's just not healthy.
0: I like that, and actually, I, I, mean, I mean, it's important. Like yeah. there
1: should be some yeah. of that but there's gotta be a multi-generational learning going on. Yeah,
0: yeah. I like that, that's, a that's whole really topic. smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know I got you on another topic. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm really inspired by younger feminists right now. It's like really cool. helping my feminism to mm-hmm. listen to Lena Dunham and to, you know, I mean, she's just these young I mean, women like, yeah. who, who I think mm-hmm. are so courageous. There's a lot of young women right now doing amazing things. So, So yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Amy. I think I could talk awesome. to you all day. I want to be respectful oh, of your yeah. time.
1: <laughs> no, I know. When am I going to see you next? <laughs> I know.
0: We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Thank you so much, and um, I'm going to put all of Amy's information, how you can find her, at the end of the show.
1: Fantastic.
0: Hey guys, this is Andrea again with just a few more things before I sign off. You can find Amy on all the social media channels, including Snapchat, which I think is so impressive because I have yet to try it at Amy Ippoliti. So that's A-M-Y-I-P-P-O-L-I-T-I. I also want to say a special thank you to DJ Bhakti Styler who helped me out with the music for this podcast And if you haven't been to our blog, I have a blog with my husband, yoga teacher, Jason Crandall, and we share a lot of great content there. You can find the blog at jasonyoga.com and then just click on blog. And while you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter, which goes out just about every two weeks and includes all the new content, as well as info about when this podcast goes up show notes and links to everything we discussed today can be found at yogalandpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.